We made it through an election. We did. Yeah, we've made it through two years of study about this house that God is building. And we made it through an election. You guys are real troopers. Um, I don't know the outcome, final outcome of the election. Uh, but what I do know is that we voted. And uh, now it's in the Lord's hands. And he gets to decide what's going to happen. So we get the chance now to move on and look at other things that are, I believe, more important. Um, starting with, if you're available, the last three weeks we got together and prayed. We don't do this every Sunday, but we did during the election cycle and prayed after church. And so today after church, I'm going to invite you one more time to join me just across the hall. And now let's pray for our newly elected officials, whoever they are. Peter and Paul both asked us to do that, to pray for my prayers that if they don't know the Lord, that the Lord would introduce himself to them. But even more important than that is that he would give them his wisdom for what's best for our country. So we should lift up our elected officials. And so we're going to do that afterward. We don't need their wisdom because none of them are smart enough. Okay? You know, the concept of the gospel, the good news, goes all the way back before Christ, believe it or not. Every Caesar in the Roman Empire had a good news. They would tell their people what's going on. We have it too today. It's just called the State of the Union speech. Okay? And so I've told you several times, the president that wins my greatest respect is the one that gets up there on January for a State of the Union speech and says, our country is going to hell and I don't have a clue what to do about it. Okay, now you get my vote. But no, what do they always say? Oh, we got problems, but we got it figured out. No, you don't. All right? No human can figure out the solutions to a country this big. You just can't. It's not even possible. That's why Psalm 2 says the Lord scoffs. (laughs) He laughs at the nations. And so since we have elected officials that we've put in place, let's be kind to them and ask God to grant them wisdom so they know what to do and they know how to respond to us. All right, so I thought what I would do today, honestly, I wrestled for the last two or three weeks about today because um, next Sunday... I'm going to be with my grandchildren in Boston um, for Thanksgiving week. Uh, I hope my daughter's there, but I'll find out. And um, so my son, Drew, who many of you have heard, will be here next Sunday. And so I thought a lot about this Sunday being after the election and prayed a lot about, how do, what do I say? And I thought, you know what I'm going to do? The one thing we haven't talked about in the last two years, not very much, we have a little bit, is the Holy Spirit. And Isaiah is the one big prophet in the Old Testament that talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. He does. So I'm going to take you through three short passages in Isaiah because I want you to see what his dream was. His dream was phenomenal. You see what they all knew in the ancient world is that the people were basically not committed to the Lord. That's why prophet after prophet came. Because of that. Even David, King David, he was the climax, the high point of Israel's existence, when everything was going at its best, but you read the Psalms, and even he knew that the people didn't care. They were worshiping idols, offering children to sacrifice, as sacrifices, things like that. Even David knew that. And so the prophets began to bring a dream. It's actually God's dream for eternity. I mentioned last week at communion, we are the realization of that dream. Well, now I'm going to share what that dream is. And so Isaiah brings the Holy Spirit into this dream and floats it out there for the nation to see, okay? Now, Isaiah is a very complex book. If you sit down and read it, you're going to be heads in a tailspin within two chapters, all right? Just be honest with you. That's a very hard book just to read. But honestly, most of our uh, 
favorite verses that we quote at Christmas come out of Isaiah, okay? And so Isaiah, um, he prophesied about a long period of time. He didn't live a long period of time, but he prophesied in three sets, three groups of information, I believe. Scholars are all over the map on what to do with this, so I'm just giving you my perspective. The first third of Isaiah is prophesying, he's talking to the southern kingdom in Jerusalem. So you have Jerusalem and you have the northern kingdom. So Judah's down here and the other tribe's up here. And the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, they split when Solomon died. He was not a very good leader. We learned from Solomon that all the wisdom in the world is not as good as faith. And so he was the wisest man in the world and ended a failure. And so as soon as he died, boom, civil war. The nation split. You have a northern kingdom, you have a southern kingdom. And uh, you can go back and take any secular history book of this era and learn about it. But here's what happened. So the nation split. And the northern kingdom uh, was basically evil from then on. They set up all these idols. They turned away from the Lord. They wanted nothing to do with him. The southern kingdom had a series of kings that were pretty good. They kept trying to lead the people back to the Lord. They didn't get anywhere, but they kept trying to do that. So the northern kingdom, God sent some prophets to them. They didn't listen, so he destroyed the northern kingdom. The Assyrians came in, and the Assyrians, they were, if they were not the most uh, horrific, vile people in the history of the world, they're in the top two or three. You can ask me later what they did, how they tortured people. It's just beyond your comprehension, the things that they thought of. So they absolutely destroyed the northern kingdom. Well, the southern kingdom, Jerusalem, is watching this. So the first third of Isaiah is Isaiah's warning, don't be like the northern kingdom, or this will happen to you. So he's using this northern kingdom as an example to warn them, don't do this. Trust me. So what did they do? Well, it's all the way back to Exodus. All that the Lord has said, we will do, and they turn around and make a golden calf. That's humanity. That's us. It's a mess. So what did they do? They went down to Egypt to try to garner their support for them to protect it and go to the Lord. So God kicked them out. So the first third of Isaiah is warning them, don't do these things. Turn to me, and I will protect you. They didn't do it. The second third is now they're in exile. God kicked them out of the land. And so he's speaking to them in exile now. Um, it, it was a horrible time. When you look in the Psalms, the Babylonians came. Because they destroyed the northern kingdom, the Assyrians, God sent the Babylonians to destroy the Assyrians. They did, wiped them all out. They no longer exist today. And so the Babylonians came, surrounded Jerusalem, and the people in Jerusalem were very arrogant. They said, nah, we're not going to lose because this is God's kingdom, Right? All the way down to the final days and recorded in the book of Lamentations. God's temple was in Jerusalem. The final days. We're now days or hours away from total destruction. And what did they say? Did they turn to the Lord in humility for help? No. They said, this is God's temple. He's not going to let his own temple fall. Well, then Ezekiel 10 gives us the picture of the, the, uh, the, um, God's glory in the temple. The seraphim comes alive, flaps its wings, raises up. It's one of the saddest stories in the Bible. It goes to the edge of the city, looks back at the temple, and the glory of God leaves. The Babylonians came in and crushed them. So now in the middle section, we know from Psalm 137 and others, they're sitting on the banks of the Babylonian, the rivers in Babylon, weeping. How could this have happened? 
what on earth happened? And so the prophets began to tell them, we'll tell you what happened. You rejected the Lord. And he rejected you. That's what happened. Yeah. So then they came back together at the end of the Old Testament, began to rebuild Jerusalem. The temple is now just a shell of what it was. The city is just nothing compared to its glory days. And they're trying desperately to recapture that, and they can't. God's not going to let them. So the last third is now that they're back in the land. Now that they're back in the land, God hasn't forgotten them. And Isaiah has a word for the warning when they're in exile and when they've returned. And so they knew that God had not returned because the glory didn't return to the temple. And so they knew that the sin had not been forgiven by God. That didn't happen until 450 years later when Jesus walked into the temple and the glory returned. And, uh, and then they knew that those that were wise knew that forgiveness was about to happen. So what I want you to see in these three passages is Isaiah's dream because this was in a very evil world, very evil world. Very few people really trusted the Lord. So Isaiah had all these prophecies. I'm just going to read three of them because I want you to capture the dream of what he thought. When you read Hebrews chapter 11, it's a list of all the faithful people of the Old Testament. The very last thing it says is these people died without ever realizing the promise. They lived by faith only. We have realized the promise. We live in it. We are the recipients of the eternal dream of God. And Isaiah's dream was that there would be a people who willingly love the Lord and who have received the Spirit of God. And that allows us to do that and therefore do good in the world. When Isaiah's time doesn't exist. So this is a dream for Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was King David's father. So what he's talking about here is a relative of David in David's line, a Davidic king. We don't know that yet, but we know he's coming through David. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord. Okay, pause. This is brand new in Old Testament theology. What? God's Holy Spirit? Okay. The, Holy, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Okay, now pause. Listen to this next section here because you're going to see words about needy, impoverished, brokenhearted, that sort of stuff, those who mourn. This is a common thread in this dream. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness, he will judge the needy. Righteousness is such a good quality. It's a quality that you want to move into someone's life and fix what's broken. That's called redemption and do what's right. Do what's right for the needy. So he's going to move into the life of the needy specifically to do what's right. And justice, with justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. In other words, he's going to take care of the poor and the needy. No one else is going to. 
Don't be fooled. All the government programs in the world are not going to do what they need and need. You've got to remember that. They need something more. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. The wicked are the ones who are abusing the poor and the needy. Travel with me around the world. You guys know I travel around the world. I see it everywhere I go. The wicked are the ones that take advantage of the poor and the needy. And he's going to give his vengeance. Righteousness will be his belt, faithfulness the sash around his waist. So this is part of the warning to, uh, to the southern kingdom not to give in and do what the northern kingdom did. There's a legitimate reason to be faithful. We have a king coming. So then in Isaiah 42, now we are in the section where they didn't listen. A lot of years have gone by. Now they're exiled and they're sitting on the riverbanks in Babylon weeping. So Isaiah delivers a message. God has not forgotten you. He hasn't forgotten you. Isaiah 42. Now, in the first one, Isaiah's prophesying, prophesying. Now God is prophesying about this king that's coming. This is God. Here is my servant whom I uphold. Okay, pause. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration, that story? Uh, Peter's there with, you know, James and John, and uh, Jesus appears as Elijah and Moses. They're both, all three, standing there. And he's like, whoa, this is awesome. I'm going to build three tabernacles. And God's voice immediately appears out of nowhere to rebuke him. This is my son. He is not like Elijah and Moses. He is different. Listen to him. He's saying, and poor Peter. Peter's always sticking his foot in his mouth and always getting rebuked for it. And there it is. Just before this, he, Jesus told him that he's going to die. And Peter said, no, you're not. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You're trying to thwart the purposes of God. And then he'd go up in the mountain. And he still doesn't figure it out. These three are not equal. So God says, this is my son. Listen to what he's telling you. Because it is important. Somewhere along the line, Peter figured it out. <laughs> Just took him a while. So this is Isaiah 42. Here is my servant my slave, my son, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight, I will put my spirit. There the Holy Spirit reappears again. He's emerging through Isaiah. Now remember, they don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. We have the benefit of the whole Bible. They don't. They don't have the Old Testament. They're all in exile. So they're hearing this for the first time. I will put my spirit on him or in him, and he will bring justice to the nations, true justice, which is what we long for. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. I think those are metaphors for the poor and the needy. Okay, that's how they feel. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. True justice, which, by the way, includes vengeance. We cannot get vengeance. And it's a good thing because we wouldn't know how to carry it out if we could. We wouldn't really know how to carry it out to whom. But God knows. He's going to bring true justice to the nations. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on the earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. Okay, now we're going to jump to the last part, which you've heard before. Now they're back in the land, and they're discouraged. They're depressed. Their once great city is in ruins. 
and they have to work really hard just to build a protective wall. The temple and all of its grandeur, grandeur under Solomon is destroyed, and they're trying to rebuild something. Okay? And right in the middle of this darkness, here's what Isaiah says. Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord, there it is, the Holy Spirit, is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. You see this theme keep reappearing? The spirit of God appears and then the poor start to get cared for. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Some of you have been broken. You've had your hearts broken. Uh, Pam and Jerry this morning, their hearts are broken with the realization that God better intervene pretty quick. Um, proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. You see, sin puts you in, tra- in a trap. It puts you in prison. Ask any alcoholic. Ask anybody suffering with any kind of addiction. And they're in a prison. And he's bringing freedom out of that. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's the year of Jubilee. All debts are forgiven. It's okay. You get to start over again. You're blessed. And vengeance, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. For those of you that have been through trauma, it feels like you're sitting in the middle of ashes, doesn't it? Just destroyed. You lose somebody close to you, spouse, child, friend, and you feel broken. That's where Jerry and Pam are. And he's going to to bestow on them a crown of beauty, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. This will be called oaks of righteousness. These people, they will be called this, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. That's why I said your suffering is not mostly about you. Your suffering is about all the people around you that are watching so that the Lord can show his, his splendor through you to the lost around you, the hurting. So now when we go fast forward to Luke, Luke chapter 4, Jesus is now right after the temptation. He comes right out of temptation and goes right to his hometown in Nazareth. The first, the first time he revealed his glory was at the wedding of Cana. But these are the first words that he says right out of the temptation. This is Luke chapter 4. Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. So <coughs> picture this big scroll. And you unroll, there's no chapters, there's no numbers, there's no divisions at all. If you look at the ancient Hebrew, there's just word one after the other, not even spaces. It's just runs steady. And he's kind of going through here going, ah, oh, there it is right there. This is what he decided to say the first day of his public ministry. Isaiah 61, we just read it. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. So the first part of Isaiah, Isaiah's prophesying. prophesying. The second part of Isaiah, God is prophesying about his servant, his son. And the third part of Isaiah is the servant himself talking. So this is the passage that Jesus chose. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to who? The poor. Right. He has sent me to proclaim freedom 
for the prisoners, the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And they all stared, waiting for him to sermonize. And what does he say? Today. This very moment, the scripture is fulfilled. That was Isaiah's dream. In this one moment, Isaiah's dream of a king who would be fair, loving, just, caring, this very moment, his dream was realized. But that was the beginning of the dream. Because what Isaiah dreamed about was a people who would do the same thing. A people who would be loving. A people who would care for the poor and the needy. A people who would surround Pam and Jerry, whoever of you need help, who would come alongside and pray and encourage, walk with you in your times of distress. He didn't have that. That never happened in the history of the world until the church was born. Don't have a record of it history, in history anywhere. That there would be people who would, God would come, put his spirit in them, and they would turn around and freely love the Lord and give, give of that heart to the people around them. This was the beginning of that dream. Okay, now it's easy to get lost in the election and all the hype around it. Both sides promise a lot of things, but that's just election hype. Okay. It's easy to get lost in that, isn't it? To be concerned. So uh, there's a hymn I started. I just hadn't, I'd forgotten it for years, and I was hunting a couple weeks ago, and it came to mind. Turn your eyes up on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So, I want to give you a picture of what Isaiah's dream looks like today, what God envisioned for all of eternity. Okay? And don't be afraid. If you have ever helped a poor person, stand up. Go ahead, stand up. We recently had a coat drive. If you donated a coat, stand up. By the way, when you looked at the coat drive a couple weeks ago, every rack was filled with coats. Jude told me later on that, that it was a little disappointing because on Sunday they had 20 people here and, and very few people came to get a coat. But she knew better than to give up. Just waited. And then throughout the week, one at a time, these needy families came in and said, can we have a coat? And by the end of the week, they were almost all given out. Okay? If you've ever sat with a person that's hurting, a neighbor. Maybe they had cancer. Maybe they lost somebody. Maybe they lost their job. Stand up. If you've ever filled one of these boxes that goes to a child you're never going to meet until eternity, stand up. Right? If you've ever donated to a ministry, maybe you just donated to help people. Stand up. If you've ever pulled up and seen a poor person standing on the side of the road, uh, maybe you didn't give them money, 
I understand. But maybe you just said, Lord, I help them. Stand up. Have you ever prayed for a downtrodden person? Have you ever been generous in tipping a server? Stand up. Many years ago, Nancy and I went out to dinner across from a huge church in Denver, and the waitress was a little bit, like that. And I said, are you okay? She goes, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't show that. I said, no, it's okay. I'm, I'm really curious what, what's, what just got you. And she said, well, that church over there just let out. And here's the tip they gave me. A pamphlet on coming to know Jesus. Really? And so I gave her a very, very large tip. And she had tears because you don't have to do it. And I said, yes, I do because I'm also a Christian. And what those people did was wrong. And what I want you to know is that we're not all like that. Okay, you see the point? Now, what I want you to see is this. This is Isaiah's dream right here. Us. Us. And when you begin to realize we are the eternal dream of God realized in the world, reaching out and loving and caring for people, He's not looking at how many of you are Democrats, how many of you are Republicans. He's not looking at that. How many of you believe this? How many of you believe that? How many follow this policy? How many of you? He's not looking at that. What he's looking at is the dream, the reality that because of the people of faith around the world, people are being cared for. And that's what Jesus was talking about today, this very moment today. This prophecy has been fulfilled. Can we sing that chorus? So turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow straight. is us. We're the dream that Isaiah had and never got to enjoy, but we do. Go ahead and be seated. I'm going to ask the ushers to come take the offering. I just want to say thank you for being generous. Okay, Your generosity with us is the same generosity as when you care for people in the most small ways. Thank you for being that kind of church.
get to celebrate together, get to enjoy communion, and remembering that moment when we began to realize a dream. I'd like some of you to come up and get us ready for communion. You know how it works, so come on up. The, the, the Old Testament saints, they, waited, they had to wait a long time. That's why Hebrews 11 said, they never realized the promise. They live by faith. They'll get to experience it in eternity. But we get to experience it now and in eternity. That's the privilege as well as the joy that we have. I love the, I love the fruit of the Spirit because that's part of that dream. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, thankfulness, self-control. That's part of that dream when the Spirit comes, we would begin to feel that in deeper and deeper levels. The joy that comes from serving Him, that helping someone who's poor, that's worth far more than accomplishment in a career. It's worth far more. It's worth far more than how much money we have in the bank. And that's what Isaiah envisioned, that dream. And because of Christ, we get to realize it, and we get to participate in it. So we're going to celebrate communion together in just a moment. Um, On the night that He was betrayed, He took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So there you have the sacrifice, the forgiveness of sin, which God brought the glory back into the temple, the spiritual temple, us. After supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. It's my covenant, my blood of a covenant. You know what the new covenant was? It's not actually new. It's the same covenant he gave back in Exodus. I will make you a kingdom of priests to love this world, to care for it, to reach out and serve one another. That's what I'm going to do. What makes it new was that they realized they couldn't do it because of this. And so the Holy Spirit came. That's the new covenant, the sending of the Holy Spirit. Jeremiah talked about it. Ezekiel talked about it. Isaiah talks about it. Joel talks about it. Zechariah talks about it. They all saw it coming. 
the Holy Spirit's coming, and we can finally do what we were created to do and what God envisioned all along. Now, people that would love him and reach out to their neighbors and start caring for them. That's what communion is all about. It's a time of celebration. So in a moment, you're going to come forward, and you're going to take the elements. Hold on to them so we can celebrate together because this is a really fun part. We get to celebrate together and say, God, thank you for what you have done. Father, thank you so much for sending us your son and your spirit. We are so deeply grateful. Amen. Come and let's start celebrating.
Christ given for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Hope that encourages you to realize that we are the we are the re- the reality of the dream. We're the realization of the dream that God had from eternity past a people that would love him freely and love our neighbors as well. Okay, it's about to get busy in our lives, isn't it? Forget the, forget the election. Let it fade. Okay, let it fade away. We have Thanksgiving coming up. And so uh, take the time to enjoy family, friends, whatever you're doing. Um, just be thankful. Take that time to stop and say, God, thank you for all that you've done. After that, we start Advent. We have a lot of things going on. Like I said, you can look on the website, look at my email. December 2nd, for example, it's the second, right? We have, a, we have a, an outdoor carol sing right here. We did it last year and, and was, loved it. We're going to sing carols together, get together. And then we have Advent, we have Christmas Eve. You're going to watch the whole sanctuary get tra- transformed into a, a Christmas place of worship as we anticipate the coming of our Savior who made all this possible. The one who said, today, this prophecy is fulfilled. That's us. So he brought peace. It's very real. Enjoy it. Think about it. Taste it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It's very real. Go in peace. Oh, and don't forget, if you can, we're going to pray afterwards about our newly elected officials.